I'll say this. I hate when I have slow internet and I hate getting hostility from business computer guys. Uh, If you're sick and tired of yours and your network's not running properly, if he takes forever to call you back, are you paying the company good money to keep things working but you're still having constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues, does your head hurt from having to deal with all of this? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom at Heritage Digital, 843-664-8989. Heritage is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your network runs correctly all the time. It's for one low monthly fee. Uh, I know that when I've done this before, one low monthly fee is great. With clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So please call my friend Matthew Odom of Heritage today, 843-664-8989. That's 843-664-8989 or heritagedigital.com and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and for all. This portion of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast is brought to you by Heritage Digital. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, second straight Saturday episode. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Uh, One week, folks. One week until uh, college football kicks off. Uh, for the majority of the country today, there's some games. Uh, Nebraska, Illinois is one of them. UCLA, Hawaii is one of them. Um, if you're interested in scouting the opponent for next week, uh, Eastern Illinois plays Indiana State on the road. There are a couple of touchdown underdogs to the Sycamores. That game starts at 6 p.m. Eastern time, and you can stream it on ESPN Plus, uh, which is where the game for the Gamecocks will be next week. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, some folks, with the game next week, if you get SEC Network Plus, uh, those folks seem to believe that the Eastern Illinois game, Carolina, uh, will be good to go. So I, I'm going to defer to them. Uh, not sure you can get Indiana State, Eastern Illinois like that. Um, and, and we're kind of in a new era this year because there's going to be some games on ESPN that are just streamed uh, throughout the SEC. Uh, and other conferences. That's part of the new deal that's coming. Uh, more and more will be streamed only. And uh, so be sure to check it out. Uh, you know, make a thorough plan because if you're not going to the game, uh, I know how frustrating it will be if you sit there and turn it on at seven and expect to see the Gamecocks and uh, you got to go subscribe to something else or whatever. So just be sure you, you clear that up with everybody. Um, and uh, if you're watching the game from the crib, uh, you know, and, and, and I do it before you, you start the party, you know, <laughs> uh, just so everybody at your, your place will be happy for all that. Thank you to Heritage Digital for sponsoring this segment of the show, uh, News and Notes, uh, here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. And appreciate you guys, uh, each and every one of you, for tuning in. We've had amazing numbers. They keep growing. Uh, it, it's, it's been incredible. 
um, the, this podcast and, you know, sort of the, the guests we have and um, uh, when we have them uh, and then you guys uh, contributing to the I help consulting mailbag and, and all that. Um, so scheduling next week, probably we'll, we'll have a higher volume of podcast, obviously. And on Thursday, we'll have the game prediction um, by myself here uh, on, on the podcast. Uh, and we'll do that each and every week. I'm not making any season predictions this year. Uh, and I'll tell you why. N- number one, you know, with this team specifically, there are too many unknowns to make a realistic prediction. Um, and I know that, you know, the national media and local media and everybody else's predictions are fun. Uh, you get a gauge on what the expectation is externally from that. And that's fine. I think, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the camp that I think low expectations this year are good uh, because I think that sort of motivates teams to, to, you know, it kind of takes the pressure off a little bit because hey, you're not supposed to be there anyway. And then motivates teams to overperform. Um, you know, I, I think years where the expectations are super high um, and, and not necessarily like in the Spurrier era uh, because expectations were high and then they go and win double-digit games, although they didn't win the East in those years when they were predicted to at times. But, um, you know, with the exception of that, sometimes when – there's high expectations around here. Uh, they tend to be unbearable and the team performs like it. I mean, I'm thinking 2018, you know, after a good finish, winning the Outback Bowl, you're nine and four, you beat Coastal pretty handily in the opener, Georgia comes to town and then, uh, you know. <laughs> um, and, you know, in, in that situation, I think, you know, kind of, it's kind of, that, that situation in, in that season sort of reminded me of 2014 where, there was just hope and a prayer on defense. Uh, but you, when you really dug into it in 2018 and 2014, both, you're like the defensive line is undersized. There's not a lot of answers in the secondary, you know. Uh, and then in 2018, you know, with the, with the injuries and all that toward the end, you know, that was that was sort of, sort of bad. So I'm not making a season prediction this year. Uh, and it's not because I've caught flack on it. People said, well, you need to – you need to be courageous and make a predict. No, I think it's more courageous to not, you know, just because everybody else is. <laughs> um, and look, I haven't been too far off. You know, I thought uh, Muschamp's first year would be a great season to go to a bowl um, just because the schedule was sort of, you know, you had a bad East Carolina team. You had a UMass team that wasn't that good. Carolina won those games by five and six. And then Western Carolina, Cape Cod won that by 13. Those were struggles. Uh, in, in those seasons, but um, you know, so that was halfway there, and then they won the opener against Vandy. So you needed to find two more wins. They beat Tennessee and Missouri and got to a bowl. So uh, you know, and I thought that then, then I thought in 2017 because you look in the you know the crystal ball, you, you, you don't necessarily you know you look at that schedule and you had Arkansas coming in after some spread teams, this that and the other, and. Um, you know, I thought that schedule on its face was tough to navigate, opening with NC State and Missouri on the road. I was like, well, you know, if they get back to bull, it's good, and then they won nine. So the next season, <laughs> I caught some flag for this. Yes, it's kind of funny when I when I don't predict them to do as well as they do, you know, there's no flack, but then, you know, you predict something 
bigger. And and I was like, well, heck, they, it's two wins to improve. They can go eleven and two. And I and I wasn't I wasn't that far off if you think about it. Um, team finished seven and six. Let's take the bowl out of the equation, you know, uh, because you go to a bigger bowl, something like that. Maybe somebody got knocked out. Uh, that kind of thing. It may be a different scenario. Uh, so seven and five, th- you know, so there's three losses that got me. Um, number one, uh, A&M, that was a three-point loss. Uh, that was, you know, a game that uh, Carolina could have had with a better first half. You know, Florida was a blown 17-point lead. Uh, and then the Kentucky game, which had an ugly score at halftime, and the game ended up making 24 to 10. If you look at the mistakes in that game, you know, Carolina had guys open all night down the field. And um, either Jake Bentley misfired or there were drops. A.J. Turner had a touchdown up the middle and he fell. Uh, so that kind of thing, uh, you know, I was off. You know, 11-2 versus 7-6 with the way it ended stunk. But, um, you know, that's life. And I think the next two years, you know, I thought 8-4 and four in 2019 certainly didn't see Bentley getting hurt. Uh, so wrong about that four and eight. And then, you know, I thought they had enough to get to five and five last year, certainly dead wrong about that one in a COVID year. So, you know, but look, it's not because I've been off or you catch flack by it. I just, like I said, it, it, you know, you can't reasonably logically look because there's so many guys that, you know, you're counting on to either improve or maintain their level of performance. There's a lot of newcomers on this roster, uh, you know, I, I don't know, you know, athletically, talent-wise, they, they match up. And I've said from the start, there's enough to get to a bowl this year. You know, some of these dire two and ten predictions are, you know, I think they're way off. Um, I also kind of think it's funny that uh, everybody's chalking up that Kentucky game as a loss outside, you know, of, of Gamecock land. Uh, and I know the Wildcats have won a bunch lately. Uh, but I also know South Carolina, one of the reasons that they lost some of the earlier games uh, during the Spurrier and Mustard, because they got outrushed. You know, Kentucky would pile up like 200 yards rushing. South Carolina would have like 42. Um, and, you know, the last two years, last two times they've met, South Carolina's run the ball pretty well against that defense, um, and including in the win in 2019. Uh, so you, you got to kind of look at it like that, you know. So that's why I'm not willing to concede Kentucky – um, and really, I'm not willing to concede, you know, most of them in, in the first seven games. I think those are games the Gamecocks can win. I'm just not making any predictions. I, you know, I just – I think season predictions are silly. Uh, when you have a situation that, uh, you know, you, you can't really put your finger on logically, you know, and, and I, I despise uh, predictions that are based on recruiting rankings because that's just not something that um, – you know, when you're talking about a class coming in, uh, that's not something that impacts your record that year hardly at all. Um, for anybody, Alabama, Clemson, whoever. Um, you know, it, it, and I, I think some people look at the 80th ranked recruiting class this past year, oh, they're not going to be very good. And then they look at the the games at the end of last year and, oh, they're not going to be very good. Well, you know, nobody's talking about like who actually was playing in those games. And I'll continue to say this, you know, 
you know, South Carolina was a mass unit and had opt-outs, 50 guys on. I mean, you know, it, it, look at who was actually playing on defense against Kentucky. No wonder they've got beat 41 to 18. I mean, it's, it's that, that should not be a surprise. Uh, so, yours truly is not making a season prediction. Now, we'll predict every game. Uh, I think that's a, a lot more fair. Uh, and I will say, I think, you know, the only prediction I've made wins and losses was I think they'll beat Eastern Illinois. And looking at Eastern Illinois' depth chart today, uh, they are at a physical disadvantage coming into williams Bryce Stadium next Saturday night. I'm going to stop talking about them like they're the Charleston Southern Buccaneers from 2019. The Gamecocks beat 72-10. to 10. Um, You know, just because that team from Charleston Southern – not only was rebuilding a little bit, but they had a hurricane and they had to practice in Charlotte and stay in Columbia the whole week. I mean, there was just a lot of adversity there. So it wasn't a surprise um, that the Gamecocks beat them pretty badly. Um, you know, I was told by some contacts on the previous stab that was one of the worst teams they've played ever in the history of the program. Shane Beamer, the era is starting. He's fired up. Uh, the Gamecock fans are fired up. Red's fired up. There he goes. He's he's fired up about that. Um, doing some research, and I have some. I have an article out, a uh, free article on thebigspur.com uh, next week about you know openers, trends, all that good stuff. South Carolina, and and there's a lot of you know it, we talk about why coaches fail and get into trouble and get fired. Um, and, and with Will Muschamp specifically, you know, one thing I don't think people talk about enough, and, you know, I, I don't think it's productive to continue to rehash that era because there's a new era, and I think some people just confuse the two. You know, some people think Ray Tanner coaches every sport, and as long as he's there, nobody can succeed. Like Ray's got a – like a dome over the top of uh, – the ball yard, right? <laughs> and he's manipulating everything. Ooh. But uh, anyway, um, you, you know, it is a new era, but you talk about some of the things that were disappointing with Muschamp, uh, you know, South Carolina, and it's small things. It's, it's things that I don't know that the fan base gets super fired up about, but it's a situation where, you know, when it doesn't happen, it's a shocking Punch in the gut. Now, South Carolina had not lost to a team from North Carolina since 1999. They've now lost two in a row. App State, UNC in 2019. South Carolina had lost one opener since the turn of the century. That was to Texas A&M uh, in 2014 at home, the beginning of the end with Spurrier. Uh, and now they've lost two in a row which sucks. One at home, one in Charlotte. Uh, you know, South Carolina uh, had a three-game win streak in the Columbia Cup against Missouri. You get a trophy for that game. Everybody likes it. Now they've lost two in a row. South Carolina had beaten Tennessee three years in a row. That's always an important game, no matter how good or bad each side is. They've now lost two in a row. Uh, that's not to mention the eight-year situation against Kentucky, which was not all on Muschamp. But, you know, he – what was Muschamp against Kentucky? One and three. Bobo gets the, the last loss on that one. But, um, you know, so just a lot of things that, that, that this program, you know, and, and that's not even talking about Clemson and Georgia and 
everybody else that South Carolina was went toe to toe with. Um, you know, I, I think you could even say Florida has been disappointing because you know South Carolina, I think it was four and had won four of five, three of four of six, something like that in that series, five of eight after the two 2017 win, you know, now they've lost three in a row. So, so they're losing ground. I mean, when you do that, you lose ground, you know, and it's not one loss in one season. It's a trend over time and, and, and things were trending the wrong way, not only in the big picture, but with, with some of these other things that, you know, you could take pride in as a Gamecock fan. Um, although it's, you know, they're not going to tear down the goalpost when it happens, but you know, those are things that have to be reversed uh, during the Beamer era. Um, and you got an opportunity. You know, East Carolina is an opportunity to snap the North Carolina thing. The East, Eastern Illinois game, you can reverse the trend in the opener. And obviously, Missouri, Tennessee, and Kentucky are on the schedule. So, I, you know, those are the things, you know, step one in this process. Uh, those things need to turn. May not, maybe it's not this year, but soon in the near future. Um, I went back in time, and this is the first debut game for a Gamecock head coach against an FCS slash one double A opponent. That that I can, you know, I went back to '66 with Paul Dietzel. Ironically, Paul Dietzel opened at LSU, his former team, um, but he opened at LSU. Carlin opened at home with Georgia Tech, which was his alma mater. That was interesting. Richard Bell opened with Pacific, so I thought, well, they were FCS 1AA. They weren't. They were actually uh, FBS level, and Pacific shocked the Gamecocks one year. Uh, but Richard Bell and his opener beat Pacific 41-6. to Joe Morrison opened with North Carolina, uh, which was ranked in the top 10, then lost 24-8. to Sparky Woods opened with Duke, Duke and Steve Spurrier, 127-21. Brad Scott opened with Georgia. Lost a close one, 24-21. Lou Holtz opened at NC State. So so, th- so there's another interesting thing. You know, Holtz used to coach at NC State. So Dietzel LSU, Carlin against his alma mater. Uh, Sparky Woods opened in a bit of foreshadowing against Steve Spurrier and Duke. And Lou Holtz goes back to Raleigh. Gamecocks lose 10 to nothing. Spurrier opened against UCF on a Thursday night, 24-15. They won. And Will Muschamp um, won the Vandy game. Uh, in his opener. So two straight Gamecock coaches have won their debut. Overall, you know, it, it's been sort of a mixed bag, I think. Dietzel lost since, you know, and we'll start with Dietzel. Two and one, two and two, three and two, three and four, you know, five and four in their opening games. This is the first time, though, a head coach has gotten to play an FCS team in his opener at South Carolina. Um, the last time the Gamecocks even opened with an FCS 1AA level team was in 87, and obviously their FBS level now. South Carolina beat App State 24-3. Uh, Joe Morrison's team in 1987 was outstanding. Sterling Sharp, Harold Green, Todd Ellis, Ryan Bethay, uh, Roy Hart, Norman Floyd, Brad Edwards, uh, you know, lots of great players on that 87 team. Uh, for the Gamecocks. It was kind of like my second year following them. That team beat Clemson, got on a roll at the end, almost knocked off Miami at the Orange Bowl. But it started with a very, you know, I don't want to say lackluster, but a very methodical 24-3 win over App State. Gamecocks opened with App State in Western Carolina that year. Went to 2-0, then played Georgia and Nebraska, lost two tough ones on the road. 
and then just ran off like six straight before losing the Canes and then uh, a debacle in the Gator Bowl against LSU. Uh, but Beamer's the first one that's opened against an FCS team. It's the first time in, what, uh, 34 years the Gamecocks have even opened a season with an FCS team. Um, like I said, Eastern Illinois plays this weekend. Uh, you know, so Shane's got a chance to get off to a one and zero start, and that's that's what you want. Uh, you want to do that and look good doing it. You don't want a sloppy ball game where you know you're you're sitting there wondering why the hell it's a game in the third quarter. Uh, you know, and and I think given the physical advantages, you know, the the key to the game is South Carolina doesn't need to make mistakes. You know, they they can't throw the ball to the other team. They can't fumble that kind of thing, and you know, knock on wood, practice has gotten better with the turnovers, but I will tell you straight up, it's been a concern. Uh, turnovers, you know, the defense, of course, has forced a lot of turnovers too. So anytime in practice, it's a double-edged sword. Um, so really, everybody's looking forward to, you know, next next weekend. Uh, like I said, with this podcast specifically, we're going to have a high volume of them, prediction on Thursday. You can also look for me uh, on the Big Old Cock pregame show. That's what it's called, uh, sponsored by Motley Rice uh, Law Firm uh, with JB and Goldwater, Michael Flint, and myself. Uh, Kind of a one-hour quick-hitting, you know, Gamecock preview show. We'll have that each Friday at 1 p.m. Every single week the Gamecocks play. So you can really look forward to that. If you like me on JB and Goldwater and like that show, uh, I believe they're going to have it in podcast form too. So you can listen to it on Saturday if you want. Um, And so that's some house cleaning. cleaning. I'll I'll be on Locked on the Gamecocks podcast. If you're with Keith as a patron uh, on Monday and then Tuesday, we'll have a town hall. I'll be a part of there. Uh, You know, obviously the Wednesday episode of JB and Goldwater will be going on and then, you know, whatever else happens um, next week as we prepare. Probably we'll have a J.C. and Morgan. We have, we'll definitely have a J.C. and Morgan next week as Mike and I will break down all of college football. Um, so those are all those house cleaning notes. Uh, Renricus Davis has stepped away from the team. Um, some people snickered. Some people said they were felt bad. I, I'm, on, I'm in the feel bad camp. Uh, I think sticking it out for six years or so, uh, is a testament to his desire to play. Uh, I just don't think his body's letting him. You know, when you're injured all that much, you know, it's just not – at some point you go, man, you know, I'm just never going to get back. Uh, but he battled. And, and you know, it, it's a shame because I think Renriquez Davis, had he stayed healthy over the years, could have made some plays. And when he was healthy, he did. I mean, the Outback Bowl, he made some plays. Uh Touchdown from Skarnakia against Charleston. I mean, Coastal Carolina that year. Um, early in his tenure as a true freshman, he was catching passes from Brandon McElwain. Uh, I think he, he had one against Kentucky, one against ECU. Um, so you hate it for Ranricus, but Beamer said, you know, he's exploring, thinking about what he wants to do in life and all that good stuff. He got an education. So, you know, that's good for him. And, you know, so, so for everybody out there that, that thinks college football players are like exploited and, you know, nothing's fair. Um, you know, he, here's somebody that college football has been really good to them, even though it hasn't worked out for them on the field. Education has gotten taken care of all that good stuff. Um, I expect there's a possibility that a starting quarterback will be named tomorrow. 
Uh, Beamer alluded to that the other day. I think Satterfield alluded to it as well. Um, look, based on what I'm still hearing, it's Zeb Nolan, but I can't rule Jason Brown out either. Uh, and Jason's had a really good couple of weeks of practice and they like that. Uh, I'll say this. Uh, I, I'll say that there's a lot of misinformation that I've been reading about Jason Brown, not knowing the playbook. And I, I wanted to, I wanted to set the record straight. He knows the playbook. Now in the spring, he didn't because he was coming in sort of late, came in sort of in March and then had some uh, a situation where he had to sit out, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but he knows it now. And it's not, you know, I think some people because of his passes in the spring game, uh, and Marcus Satterfield was asked directly about this, uh, about him being a gamer, and does that show he's a gamer because of what he did in the spring game? And Satterfield said no, just bluntly no. And that's the truth. That's the truth. Spring games are scrimmages. And South Carolina's spring game this year wasn't even a game. It was like a half scrimmage, and that was during the the scrimmage portion of it. You know, good throws, good passes, good arm on him, let it go pretty good, you know. But um, Satterfield said no, and, and I agree with him. But, it, but but at this point, it's not that Jason Brown does not know the offense. I, I think some people that, that put a lot of emphasis on those throws are that want Brown to be the starter over Luke Doty, by the way. Um, I, I think they're sitting there going, you know, trying to maybe backtrack a little bit and say, okay, well, he's, he's the most talented, but, you know, he just doesn't know the playbook. And, and that's not the truth. He knows the playbook. Um, and he's doing well. He's doing really well. He's a great kid. And, and look, man, if he starts next Saturday night, great. I, I'm, I'm behind it. You know, I, I'm not a member of the Zeb Nolan fan club here. You know, uh, they're going to play the best one, and, and I'm going to do my best to tell you why. And right now, if it's Nolan, the reason why is that he's been moving the team. Uh, I had a tidbit the other day for VIP members on the message board. No, no one threw a pass to Jalen Brooks the other day, right on a dime for 50 yards. Um, so the crew that, you know, thinks, you know, you should vertically pass all the time, you know, even if that gets you beat, <laughs> uh, bombs away, you know, hey, there you go. There's a long pass. Um, and so that's why. But, look, uh, like I said, Jason Brown's performed really well and he's getting the playbook down and he knows it. This is not a situation at all where, you know, one is superiorly superior talent wise, but just can't get the plays. And then the other one's not so talented, but he's going to come in and, you know, run the offense. That, that's not what's happening here. Uh, despite some people's perception, but you know, look, either way, um, this team needs to get Luke Doty back <laughs> uh, in my opinion. Um, I think that uh, the trip to Greenville the following week, it would be great if he got back. Uh, at the same time, with the style of quarterback that he is, you certainly don't want him going out and re-injuring it because mobility is a big part of what he does. And, you know, and it's not just running with the football, it's escaping pressure, that kind of thing, and you don't want him limited. So – there we go. You know, so I think uh, I think that quarterback situation, we will probably know here pretty soon. If it's not Sunday, probably shortly thereafter. Um, you know, this is Shane Beamer's first game as a head coach. So there's no history to look back on. 
as far as that, Gamecocks have had two first-time head coaches uh, open, Richard Bell and Brad Scott, over the years, and one and one. I told you Bell beat Pacific. Scott lost to Georgia, but they lost to Georgia by three in that game. Tannehill had a really good game. I think a lot of people were excited, and, of course, that team was the first bowl win in school history. So there you go with that. But, um, you know, everything's um, everything's been positive, you know, as far as the feeling of the team, the confidence level. They've had a, they've had a great offseason physically and also mentally. You know, I, I think that, as I've said many times, when the other staff left, one of the things I was told was, like, somebody's going to have to come in here and heal the locker room. And I think that was the first order of business for Shane Beamer, Luke Day, Derek Moore, Connor Shaw, uh, and then the, the, the coaching staff, on-field coaching staff, Eric Kimry, Justin Stepp, Jimmy Lindsey, Clayton. I mean, I could name them all, Pete Limbo. But, um, you know, it, it, that takes you to a certain point. Uh, that's why they call it preparation. You're prepared mentally and physically does that mean you're going to win no no i think they'll beat eastern illinois i have a hunch they'll beat east carolina but like i said you know that 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 that's you know that's all preparation that that's not a predictive element it's one of those things that you need to do because if you don't you're probably not going to be successful but it doesn't you know hard work and you know mental toughness development and positive energy and stuff like that, that that doesn't always mean you win. Um, I do think what it does is it helps you rebound from losses or disappointing plays or, you know, adversity in game uh, adversity week to week. Uh, I think it helps you deal with it a lot better. And uh, I don't think Carolina's dealt with adversity around here very well the last few years at all. Um, So, there you go. They hadn't, they hadn't dealt with success a lot either because, you know, you one step forward, two step back kind of thing. Uh, and I think mental toughness and, and having your team healthy mentally really helps with that, especially today. These days, everybody talks about mental health. Everybody's this, that, and the other. You know, sometimes I think it gets overstated. Sometimes I think it gets understated. I don't think it's as simple as, oh, gosh, you know, we got to psychoanalyze everything these days with young people. But I also don't think it's as simple as throw some dirt on it and let's go. You know, it's that, it, it, there's always a happy medium with things like that. I'm um, going to mention, speaking of happy mediums, COVID protocols. Amazingly, guys, look, I mentioned I speculated what I thought the situation would be at Carolina. I had had no tip-off or inside information, but I guess that's that's what it is. Masks are encouraged on the inside part of it. Uh, of the stadium there's no mask requirement there's no vaccine requirement to get in um you do have you do have the option of getting vaccinated there i thought that they would do that probably if you are a a person that does not believe in the vaccine please do not get drunk and yell at the people getting the vaccine or administering the vaccine and i don't think you will i've got more faith in some of you you know, than to do that. Some of you, I mean, you know, but then there are people out there, they don't need to be drunk to to yell at people like that. Those people are just doing what they, you know, they're trying to serve the community, you know, and uh, somebody wants to go get a vaccination at at a Carolina football game, more power to them. I mean, look, it's not, it's not something anybody should be critical of, in my opinion, Uh, unless you, unless you are like, you know, 
obsessed with the politics of the virus. And that's wrong too. I don't care what side you're on, you know? So that, that's my opinion on that, but the COVID protocols are very, um, you know, common sense type of stuff. There was a, 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 uh, and I kind of got on some people for this and I, I probably overreacted to their overreaction. Uh, but there was talk about just mobile ticketing, uh, and a lot of people requested paper tickets and they were upset, but then USC came on our board and clarified it that, uh, if you have a paper ticket, they're still going to take it. And they'll just scan it there. I mean, and, and so I guess with the process, you know, I guess they used to tear tickets. They don't do that anymore. They just scan them. So I guess the process there kind of threw me off. Um, but it's just like scanning a phone. So they'll scan it there for you. Don't worry. You don't have to get it on your phone if you have the paper tickets, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's common sense. You know, now if they were sitting there collecting tickets and touching them that have touched everything, yeah, I get that. But uh, that's not what the case is. So, you know, th- there should be really an easy, you know, walk into the stadium uh, unlike LSU that's requiring all this stuff to get in uh, on Saturdays at Williams Bryce. So that's what the COVID protocols were. Uh, and uh, actually, it was just like I said, so that's good. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, Aaron Sterling. Shane Beamer had a pretty interesting player comparison. I find myself talking about player comparisons more than – I like these days, but uh, I, I think you guys like, I mean, dig them. You know, it, it's a way to kind of, uh, I guess, for fans to, to just kind of go, oh, okay. Compared to, him to Corey Moore, used to be at Virginia Tech. Corey was built like Aaron Sterling. Um, and, you know, look, Aaron Sterling had to hold off Jordan Birch, who had a fantastic offseason. <laughs> so he must be doing something right. Uh, I know they love him to death. Mike Peterson has always been high on him. But it also appears like tangibly he's gotten better. You know, he was hurt last year, um, but worked his way back. And, you know, from what I hear, he's, he's even improved. And he's been pretty productive, nine-and-a-half career sacks, um, excellent pass rusher, you know. So I'm looking forward to seeing him play. Uh, you know, there's – Aaron Sterling it was an interesting recruiting uh, battle because he was committed to Alabama. You know, they, you know, I don't know that Bama backed off or what, but he ended up coming to South Carolina um, and played, has played a lot over the years. You know, older player, you know, it's guys like that that sometimes you, you kind of don't think about because we all want to talk about the highly rated guys on the talent on the D line. And then you got, yeah, Jordan Strawn in there that's, you know, led the country in sacks. And you, you kind of forget about Aaron Sterling. But, um, you know, based on what I've heard to follow up on what Beamer said, you know, he, he's had a hell of an offseason. So, that's good, you know. And then Aaron's trying to get to the NFL like every other older player. So, I, I think that's going to be a positive deal uh, for them right there. Had a chance to watch a little of Landon Sampson from South Lake Carroll High School. Uh, he's committed 2022 commit for the Gamecocks at wide receiver. And I mean, for the life of me, I can't figure out why this kid isn't rated higher. I know he's in a system at South Lake Carroll that's tough to stop. I mean, they're kind of like Burns used to be under Bobby Bentley in the state of Texas. 
but his quarterback, Quinn Ewers, ended up going to Ohio State early. So they got another quarterback there. It's a pretty good player. Um, and he, he just caught everything. And he's fast and he's good. You know, he's, you know, name your comparison for him. Um, faster than I think people realize. So, uh, you know, that's a reason to be excited. You know, you kind of look at the receivers right now uh, that are committed and, you know, Atlanta Sampson and Kylie Horton, and you know, you're like, well, there's not a high – they're not – neither one's highly rated. Uh, and Horton probably won't be because he plays eight-man football. But, you know, you look at it and it's like, oh, these guys have a chance to be pretty good. Especially Sampson. Sampson's probably more the completed product. Uh, and then Horton is the projection because he's 6'4, 190, 40 inch vertical, but he plays eight man football. There's going to be an adjustment period for him. You know, so if the receiving core struggles this year, <laughs> uh, help is on the way with, with Landon Sampson based on what we saw. Um, but, you know, with the receiver specifically, I think I said this earlier this week. Brooks, uh, Joyner, and uh, Van, Josh Van, who I've heard is – I don't even want to say it because he, he he hasn't dropped very many at all, if at all, this preseason. Don't want to jinx it. Um, but Van apparently is taking it to the next level. Van and Brooks both and Joyner, all three. Uh, and, you know, I, I've talked about the receivers a lot. I've been, I made it clear that it, it is a concern, and I think it is until it isn't, right? But what I've always said and thought was, you know, they've got 14 guys on scholarship at that position. You know, statistically, you know, a handful should rise to the occasion uh, because it's not like these guys are just, you know, from what I was told, it was just like one thing with each guy. Like, well, this guy can't run around. So this guy's this, or this guy's that. And so, you know, you're, you're trying to eliminate one or two warts per player. You have, you have to think statistically with 14 guys that'll happen. Um, and those guys have risen. So we'll see what kind of season they have. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I'm not – I said last year I was more encouraged with the receivers than, uh, you know, maybe some other folks at the beginning um, of the year. Then I was quickly told I should be concerned, and for the rest of the year we were. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to sit there and say I'm not concerned this year. Learned my lesson on that one. Uh, what I'm saying is I, I feel more comfortable about those three guys uh, th than maybe I did. And we'll see how they perform in games. Certainly in practice, they've been doing well. Uh, you know, uh, again, the, the the vertical passing crowd out there that, you know, believes that's the only way to win football games these days. Uh, and you have to do it. I mean, look, man, you got to throw the ball down the field uh, in college football without question. You just don't have to do it every play. I mean, yeah. uh, but Jalen Brooks is a guy, you know, that can that can create explosive plays, long passes, that kind of thing. Uh, and so you got to be pretty happy about that uh, moving forward. You know, Boogie Huntley is a player that Clayton White mentioned this week. Defensive tackle uh, out of Columbia, four-star kid, Jordan Birch's teammate. Uh, last year, COVID year, whatever. Uh, this year's coming into his own We're, with Rick Sandage sideline boogie stepped up. And I think that's important because I, I think the game guys could rotate six or seven at D tackle. Uh, and you guys know you, you rotate your big guys, especially early in the season when it's hot, uh, you keep them fresh. And then in the fourth quarter, that really helps. 
you know, Greenville, North Carolina, September the 11th. Gamecocks are, you know, kicking off at noon. It's probably going to be hot unless it's, there's some kind of cloud cover. Um, going to need that. It's probably going to be an advantage uh, against the East Carolina offensive line. But we'll get to that next week uh, as far as the ECU game and all that good stuff. Um, all right. Well, that's it for the news and notes segment. I don't know. If I, should I call it the news and notes segment? I don't know. Maybe the the main portion of the show. Again, brought to you by Heritage Digital. Please give Matt a call, um, you know, over there and uh, fix those technical issues that you have, um, you know, with your business once and for all. Now, speaking of businesses, we're about to go into the iHelp Consulting mailbag. If you're a business owner, you can always save time and save money. And you're always looking to do that. And that's where iHelp Consulting can help. iHelp is a Gamecock-owned and operated company whose only mission is to help businesses save money on expenses. Whether you think you might be paying too much for credit card processing, internet insurance, or anything else, iHelp can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. And remember, if iHelp can't save your business any money, you don't pay them a thing. That's right. If iHelp can't help your business, it's no cost to you at all. So call or text Daniel Owens at iHelp, 843-372-5713, or visit iHelpConsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. That number again, 843-372-5713. iHelp Consulting, how can I help you? Now, there's two ways to get into the iHelp Consulting mailbag. First is to go ahead and follow at the Big Spur Pod on Twitter, and then tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Also follow the Instagram uh, account at Inside the Gamecocks. That that's not where you leave mailbag questions, but uh, we have some good photos and graphics and stuff there. Uh, and then there's also the email, the inbox, the iHelp Consulting inbox, if you will, uh, Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. So I have a couple here. Uh, I'm sure that we'll have a lot next week. Uh, but I got a couple here, and Christopher rolls in. It's a good name. It's my middle name. Something, some earlier in life. That's my that's my whole name. Yeah, that's my that's my first name. Right, but the name I go by. Went by. You ever meet my mom? You know, she calls me Christopher. But uh, okay, so Christopher says, "JC, you're the man. Love listening to the show. Thanks for all you do." The question I have to do, I have to do, is with Eastern Illinois. But let me start over with that because it sounded like I was just gobbledygooking. Uh, I have not had any beers today, folks. You know, not at all. Uh, the question I have has to do with the Eastern Illinois game. I anticipate it will be a game kind of like the CSU game a couple of years ago, maybe not as bad, and that we will not have a whole lot of questions answered about this team. Is there anything that can be learned from games like this? Uh, okay, so in the situation, all right, so the Charleston Southern game, game guys had Bama the next week. Uh, I thought that for the first half against Alabama, now Carolina was overmatched on defense in that one tremendously uh, with all those receivers and Tua and all that. But if you notice, Carolina came out the next week, played hard. They played with confidence. Uh, and quite frankly, had it not been for a horrible call uh, with Rico Dowdle, I'm convinced he was in the end zone. It's a 24-17, one touchdown game at halftime. Um. And I thought that, you know, after the disappointment of North Carolina losing Jake, you know, Alinsky goes out there against this team 
you know, throws it well, plays well uh, in his debut, and Carolina ran it right, you know, all over him. And so I think it helped confidence and team morale because, you know, they're coming off a loss. You have a lackluster performance against Charleston Southern, uh, especially if it was Holinsky, you know, he doesn't have the confidence to go out there against Bama and nobody's confident in him. Um, you know, so I think that helped, you know, also everybody got to play. Everybody's happy. You know, the, the, these games serve a purpose, not necessarily from, you know, what can we learn about how the Gamecocks match up against Georgia or, or, or Florida or Tennessee or whoever in the SEC. We, we're not going to learn anything about that. But we are going to be able to see some of the skill sets on display. Uh, we're going to be able to see kind of what the ideas are on offense and defense because these are new schemes. Uh, we're going to get to see how a backup quarterback performs uh, in an actual game. Uh, and, and it's the season opener, too. If this were game two or three, then you're like, oh, well, you don't know. It doesn't mean much. But it's the opener, and and the opener is always exciting for a number of reasons. And then South Carolina normally, as I mentioned earlier in the show, doesn't play this type of team in a season opener. But here we go. I, I think, and this was put on the schedule. I think before Eastern Illinois kind of made their nose dive. I mean, they're a, like I said, they're a proud program. They're, they're, they've been successful over the years. Uh, it's just not happening right now. So, you know. Th those are the types of things you can learn. Uh, and it's also good for the team. Uh, if you, if you don't, if you go out there, you don't make mistakes, you know, you, you, the score is what it should be. And then everybody gets to play and you get a chance to go make plays and, you know, everybody's happy. People on the scout team are happy because they got in the game. I mean, th that's a big deal. You know, when guys get in, uh, cause everybody wants to play in time in the game. Uh, and, and that's going to be a big deal, you know, so that's, that's the value of it, and I would put a little plus on it, too, because it is a season opener. Um, and so you, you have a chance to, you know, sort of go out there, knock the rust off, and get used to playing in a game without a big threat of, of, of you know, having a bad performance and losing. Now, anything can happen. We're talking about the South Carolina Gamecocks here, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, strange things can happen, but I don't, you know, uh, Eastern Illinois is not a triple option team like the Citadel that be, I mean, they're not app state. I mean, it, you know, some of those games, the Gamecocks have lost in recent years, which are inexcusable. Um, you know, this is not that same type of team. Uh, and we'll see, you know, I'm, I'm you know, watch the game tonight and see, they may be, they have 20 starters back from the spring. So, so they may be better uh, then they were, and, you know, they may go whip the Sycamores today. And, you know, if, if Carolina goes in there and makes mistakes, you know, it could be a more competitive game than we think. But you look at kind of the heights and weights on their depth chart and how they're listed, they're very undersized coming into this one. Uh, I think size, speed, all that, you know, it's, it's going to be tough to play South Carolina, just matching up physically uh, for them. But, yeah, so, so there are some things to be learned. But I, I will say, Christopher, it's a situation where, you know, this is not going to predict if you're going to be able to you know, hang with Georgia and Athens. And I mean, I don't even think it predicts necessarily how that East Carolina game is going to go. 
you know, uh, so if you're looking for a predictor of future success, this is not your game, but there are other things you can talk about uh, or, or discover uh, in this one. I mean, for Zeb Nolan, I mean, you know, if he gets to start as expected, I mean, you know, there's some film out there of him at Iowa State, North Dakota State, throwing the ball, but you get a chance to see how he throws the ball. You know, uh, we talked about drops earlier, you know, drops don't, are not about opponent, you know. You get to see some of the new players play for the first time uh, in a game situation, not a not a spring scrimmage. So uh, I, I think there there there's there is a certain amount of information you can get from this, but it's not like I said, you, you're not going to learn. Oh wow, Gamecocks are going to go win the East, you know, or oh man, Gamecocks are going to go two and ten. Uh, and, and and the reverse of that's true too. I mean, if it's a sloppy, ugly game, full of mistakes, let's say the Gamecocks get out of there, you know, twenty-eight to fourteen, something like that. Uh, you're going to have mass panic on the part of people that like to panic anyway. Uh, but it kind of just depends on how that happens, you know. Or is Eastern Illinois run, able to line up and run the ball against Carolina's defense? That's an issue if that happens. Uh, is it because South Carolina fumbled twice inside their own 20 and gave them a short field? They got a couple of teach sheep touchdowns and they kept shooting themselves in the foot. Those are correctable situations. So, you know, th- there's a lot of different ways to look at it, but uh, you know, I-, I don't think anybody should overreact uh, about this game this weekend. I think you should enjoy it because shoot, williams Bryce stadium is going to be at least, it'll be at least 70,000 in the stands, 72, something like that. Keep in mind, it only seats 77 now. Um, you know, for this ball game, I think that, uh, you know, it's it's the first game under a new head coach that has a lot of passion. Uh, you know, you got two new coordinators. Uh, so there's just a lot you can, you know, be excited about watching this one. Uh, and, and there's not a lot of pressure because, like I said, there's just not, you know, it's not a game where, I mean, you don't, you know, if it were Wofford coming in, even though they're FCS, I think it'd be there'd be some nerves because you got so many new players. You got to go prepare for the triple option. What the heck, you know, of course you play a triple option team in an opener. You have two weeks to prepare that kind of, I mean, you know, but you know what I'm saying, Christopher, do not be a stranger. Please continue. Please continue to be a part of the I help consulting mailbag. Justin, Mr. White. Hey JC, would you be okay with sharing your top three things you regret saying most while covering the Gamecocks could be what you got the most backlash for, for saying a wrong prediction, et cetera. I, you know, the things that I, I've been wrong about, I'm, I, I own those and I, I don't regret saying them, you know, just like the 11 and two prediction in 2018 obviously was wrong, but I don't regret it. And, you know, I was like, well, shoot, they, I wasn't that far off. Um, you know, some people accuse me and, and it, it drives me crazy of being too positive, but you know, I, I think that there's no purpose in, you know, walking around saying this team sucks when, when that's just not true. I mean, you know, last year's team last season was an abomination as a whole. That team, though, and in certain games, was capable. Same with 2019. You, you don't go on the road and beat Georgia. Uh, and I know Georgia didn't play well. But 
Um, you know, it's it's some people think some people say, oh, well, Georgia had five hundred and something yards. Carolina only had this. That you know, Georgia gave them the game. Well, Jake Fromm threw some picks for sure, but Izzy McQuamu, last I checked, made those picks. Uh, it wasn't like he threw it right too, Izzy. Um, one of those balls bounced off the guy. I mean, uh, and. It's not like Georgia lined up against Carolina's defense that day, which played really well and ran up and down the field. Uh, you know, you want it on a missed field goal, so maybe, you know, their miscues had something to do with it. But, you know, South Carolina's not in that game unless they have some potential. South Carolina does not beat Auburn last year, even though Chad Morris kept throwing at J.C. Horn for whatever reason, uh, if they don't have some talent, you know. I mean, that, 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 that's the bottom line, you know, is, is how I look at things. Now, I'm not always a glass half full guy, you know. I'm, you know, sometimes I'm like, yeah, this is, this is a bad situation. And I call it like it is, you know. I, I think to my job with, you know, as a recruiting guy, as my background, right, you, you can't be intellectually honest, uh and, and sit there and trash guys that are three stars and two stars because there's too many of them that work out. And if they have scholarship offers, that means somebody somewhere thinks they can play. And, and so you have to be careful about going overly negative. Now, you know, there, there, there are some things that I've been critical of, et cetera, et cetera. But um, you have to be careful going overly in this sport, I think. Uh, just for your own sake and, and for the sake of not not spreading that karma. Now, uh, I, I, I reject the fact that I sit here and pump sunshine. That, that's just not true. My job is to tell you, like, what's going on inside the program most of the time and to give my analysis of where the program is at. And I'll say this, you know, when you're sitting there trying to explain why Colin Hill, for example, is starting, you know, you're talking about that in the scope of this is why he's playing and Helensky is not and Doty is not yet. Okay. People take that and interpret it as you're hyping that player as it relates to how he competes against the rest of the Southeastern Conference and the schedule. And that's just not fair. You know, I mean, that, that that's that's a – that's a misinterpretation. And so I think that's why, where it comes in. But, uh, you know, like, I, I, you know, I just try to call it like I see it, um, you know, and to be not unfairly critical of players or coaches, uh, you know, to maybe give them the benefit of the doubt, um, you know, and, and yeah, people get on me because of the must champ thing and all that. Um, but, uh, Hell, it was, he, was, he was, what, 21 and 15? That day in the swamp, you know. That, that's where it started going downhill. Uh, but, yeah, so so you asked for three things. I, I, I'll give you – whoa, Rhett. I'll give you four uh, as far as uh, what I wish I could have back, to be honest. Wish I could have back. Um, Number one – I wish I would have not written the case for Will Muschamp. 
and, and I wrote an article during that coaching search of the case for Will Muschamp. And the only reason, the only reason is that I did not know. I, I was told like what kind of offense he was going to run, or allegedly, you know, what he was going to try to do offensively at South Carolina. Um, how that he had evolved being with Gus Miles on. And I was under the impression that it wasn't going to be Kurt Roper and the David Cutcliffe type Duke offense, right? Because I, I've always thought the guy that works for the guy, you know, and, and David Cutcliffe calls David Cutcliffe's offense, you know. Look at all the guys, with the exception of G.A. Mangus, who sort of does his own system with elements of Spurrier, you know, the guys that have tried to call Spurrier system, it's awful. It, it just doesn't, you know, I mean, they may beg and borrow and steal and take elements of it, but nobody calls Spurrier's offense like Spurrier. Um, and nobody calls Cutcliffe's offense like Cutcliffe. Uh, so, so I regret saying that at the same time, Muschamp said it after he was hired. Uh, Roper on the chalkboard talking about it you know, at least early, you know, talked about that, you know, and uh, on paper, Roper's offense is good. But when you, you know, that's why I've been hesitant. Like I've always said about Marcus Satterfield, we won't know until we get into games because you just don't know. On paper, uh, Roper's offense was good, but they get in the games and get flustered and frustrated and couldn't call plays. And that's a fact. And that's why he got fired in, in game performance. Uh, you know, they, they didn't even run things they practiced a lot of the time. Um, so for that reason, I regret writing that. And it's, it's only because, you know, I also wrote the case for Shane Beamer back then. So it's kind of amazing. I've written two articles like that in my entire career with Big Spur. And both were in 2015. And those were the next two coaches at South Carolina. Um but I regret it because I feel like, you know, with that article and then with what Muschamp said, his opening press conference and all that, you know, there was an expectation that was never met. Okay. Never met. And at the end of the Muschamp era, they were going back in the other direction, you know, away from back to kind of a pro style deal. Um, an old school pro style deal, not uh, and look, that that has nothing to do with how Mike Bobo called plays last year. I thought he was really good, but scheme wise, you know, you think about what happened from the beginning to the end. Um, you know, the, it wasn't a pro at the end. It was, it was an old school pro style. It wasn't a new school pro style, uh, and that was um, that was interesting. So, I, I, so I, I really I regret that. I don't regret standing up for, for Muschamp until I wasn't anymore because, you know, reality was, you know, there were some people that, you know, just did, simply did not want him to be the coach because of, of, of his failures at Florida. Uh, because I think these are very sensitive people and, you know, uh, and then a larger group beyond the, the sensitive people were, were people that, uh, you know, were kind of surprised because, you know, 15 and a half years, you've had two hires, Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier, you expect a home run, you know? So uh, those people continue, no matter what happened, uh, never were going to be happy. And then the, the, the biggest portion of the fan base was um, willing to bite and willing to, 
get behind Muschamp and all that. And then on the field, every time everybody would get fired up and ready to rally the program, continue to, I'll continue to talk about that 2017 Kentucky game uh, all the way up to the 2020 LSU game. People are kind of, you know, rallying by the troops and every single time without exception, face plant, face plant. And so that's the large portion of the fan base that finally got off the bandwagon. And then there's some people that, you know, still hoped he would turn it around. But, you know, like I said, LSU game, A&M the next week last year, that was probably it. Um, so, you know, uh, do I regret putting it in writing and sticking my neck out that? And, you know, yes, but not because of the final results. It was because – or because of what happened at Florida. It was because I I'd never thought that what I was told – um, and, and I believe my contact on this, that that's what Muschamp said, because Muschamp said it in the press conference, but it never came to fruition offensively. Um, and look, offense had some good moments during the Muschamp era, 2018 in particular. But I also look back at 2017 in the opener when they mastered a grand total of 220 yards you had Rico Dattles in the NFL. You had Jake Bentley, a quarterback. You had Debo, who had a great game. You had Debo Samuel. You had Brian Edwards. You had Shai Smith. You had Hayden Hurst on that team. You had Zach Bailey on that team. Um, Dennis Daly was not playing in that game yet, but he was on that team. All those guys are pros, um, which I think was sort of a testament to Muschamp that he was able to recruit or you know develop in the case of Hayden Hurst, who was a wide receiver, uh, a lot of those guys into being pretty good. But Kurt Roper was <laughs> – Kurt Ro- and it's kind of funny too because Kurt Roper had to go down to the sideline for the first part of that game and call plays from the sideline. And Carolina goes up and down the field. And then he goes back to the box and not so much. The guy with the, the neon hat was sitting there signaling things in uh, in that game. Still won. But, you know, you look at who played that in the, that game that year and you're like, wow, you know, South Carolina should have – I don't care how many NFL players NC State has on that defense, South Carolina probably should have had more yards. Um, and, and so that – for that reason, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I will own that uh, and say I regret it. But, uh, you know, that's the only reason. I don't regret endorsing him for the job. And we'll talk about all this later. You know, about because I, you know, we'll see how this season unfolds and how some of these players do. Um, and we'll see ultimately, you know, what exactly his stamp on the program will end up being. You know, and I know everybody, you know, attacks him personally now and stuff like that. And I think that's wrong. But um, I understand also you're, you're fans and you're upset. So, and I, and I don't think Will Muschamp is thin-skinned enough to worry about it. Uh, okay, so here's the other three. The Muschamp thing I kind of came up with off the top of my head when I read your question, but these are the three things I wrote because I, I read your question, Justin, before uh, we recorded, and uh, I wrote three things down. Okay, I regret jumping on the bandwagon, uh, and again, because of what you're told sometimes, uh, and look, 
just because th- there's a couple of things out there that as insiders, Tony Morrell or myself or whoever, Kelma Granahan are told that end up not working out. That doesn't mean you need to be skeptical of every single thing. It- it's like, you know, some folks out there, it's like, you know, remember back then you said this. So I don't believe that the sky is blue or that the Gamecocks wear garnet helmets or white helmets or black helmets. Prove it. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, there are some people that latch on to one thing and it's like this, but I regret, you know, getting behind the 2014 defense. Um, when I, when I said after the 2013 Georgia game specifically, you know, and that 2013 ended up really good. The defense got better as the year went on. I said 2014 could be the worst defense in a long time at South Carolina since the Brad Scott era, really. Wow. And I, I kind of got lit up about that over the offseason because Spurrier was talking about how Whammy had said they're going to be even better than last year. <laughs> you know, they had lost all those D linemen. They had lost a lot of players in the secondary. And that was kind of a – there's a lot of bad evaluations back there. And I knew that. Um, when you're undersized and all that good stuff, I mean, you know, it's a miracle that defense was able to hang in there tough against Georgia and win that one. And then, you know, and one of the most must champ things ever in the swamp that, that win by the Gamecocks, the defense played pretty well. Um, but that, but that, 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 that defense was, you know, Sky Moore was about the lone bright spot on that thing. And, uh, you know, they did come together and play well at times. But, you know, that year, I mean, the defense ruined it. I mean, the A&M game uh, and then the three blown leads, which were embarrassing and cost the Gamecocks, the SEC East. I mean, that was tough. It was bad. It was awful. So I regret reversing course and telling you guys in 2014 that it was going to be okay. Okay, I regret that. Um, now, this is a not really Gamecock related, but it's a uh, – it was, you know, during during this same time period, um, Jacob Park, the quarterback from South Carolina who went to Georgia, didn't work out, went to Iowa State, didn't really work out. Uh, G.A. Mangus and those guys told me that this guy's not all that good. Uh, but – I got talked into letting him be ranked pretty high. Um, and not by Mike Bobo either. Uh, and, and, and you know, th- that's okay. Because when you're doing recruiting rankings, everybody's got an opinion. And, and if you're in charge of that situation, as I was, you've got to let other people kind of have their calls. And then you've got to own it, unfortunately. Um, I'll never forget, I was uh, a, a youngster uh, in, the, in the business. And I, I, I went to – uh, an all-star game in Fort Lauderdale where a lot of for, for future Gamecocks played, Cliff Matthews, Stephen Garcia, all those guys, Brian Maddox. Cam Newton was in that one too. Flew flew through Orlando for like a third all-star game. This was before Under Armour. Saw a tight end out there. I was like, my God, this guy's special. 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 He's going to play in the pros a long time. Um, and then he was from out of my region and the guy in the region at the time. So nice, stiff. Uh, because on my personal board, I had him as a five-star and 28th in the country. 
and then I think he ended up, we compromised. He's like 75th, and that's not bad. 75th overall is good. Um, but that was Rob Gronkowski. <laughs> and so, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Rob Gronkowski. Gronk was probably a five-star, right? So, uh, you know, you got it. My point of all this is with the Jacob Park situation, you got to give your guys, you know, wins. But looking back on it, I regret it because I sat there on the message board at South, South Carolina, I met the big spur and defended it. Now, same time, Christian Miller came out and everybody was ticked off about his ranking. And, you know, had Christian, he was a five star, but had Christian stayed healthy, Christian probably would have been drafted higher than the fifth round. And he's playing for the Panthers now. He's a pro. Um, so I went too far off of that. Christian Miller was a guy that, for petty, petty reasons, the Gamecocks didn't recruit. And he was pretty good. Uh, and Carolina could have used his pass rushing ability, uh, bottom line. So, you know, there you go with that. But I do regret the Jacob Park thing because uh, uh, there were a lot of people that I trusted beyond like my team at 24 seven that were telling me, look, this is, don't do this, you know, and I should have listened to them. So I regret that. Uh, and then I'll take you back to 2007. I did make the comment that I thought Jason Barnes would be one of the best receivers Steve Spurrier ever had at Florida or Carolina. Um, Jason Barnes was six, four, he's one ninety, uh, four, four in the 40 coming out of Charlotte. And Jason Barnes made some good plays, but Jason Barnes was not uh, not even close to that. So I do regret that. Uh, I did rating four stars. I regret I regret saying that. So those are about the three biggest ones. You know, look, I'm not going to sit there and not say I regret predictions that I, I got backlashed on or anything like that. Because a lot a lot of people, number one, like the Colin Hill thing, they don't understand that. You know, they're they're like, you were hyping the guy. No, I was telling you why he's starting over Holinsky. And I'll look, man, I'll stand by that to this day. I'll stand by that to this day. They absolutely made the right move as as much as it may make you want to throw up. And there were some offensive games last year that made me want to throw up. There's not um not uh you know, there's no regret there. So, uh, I, uh, you know, and people say that, you know, they'll say, do you regret saying that Jake Bentley could be a three and done guy and a first rounder in the NFL? No, I don't. Uh, I think Jake would tell you he has not lived up to his own expectations. Jake could probably still play NFL football if he has a good year at South Alabama. So, you know, you Bentley haters are not out of the woods yet as far as that goes. Uh, I got an anonymous text about that too last year after Jake had a really bad game at Washington State from an 864 area code. I just blocked the number because that person's a loser in life. Uh, but, no, I, I don't regret that either. I mean, you know, if I were never wrong about a quarterback projection, and, and, and keep in mind, Bentley was different than Hill, um, you know, I'd probably be working for the Bears or something or the Falcons or – you know, who else? Or, you know, Las Vegas Raiders. There we go. I'd be out there, buddy. <laughs> you bet your butt, but um, and not sitting there talking to you guys. 
Uh, although I do love talking to you guys and I've got a fantastic job. This job is probably better than going and working for the Raiders, to be honest. But um, yeah, so I'm, I'm not that, you know, if I never missed on a quarterback projection, I'd, I'd be working in football somewhere, you know, and, you know, Jacob Park was a miss. Jake Bentley compared to the, was not a miss as far as like where we ranked him, but it was a, it was a miss as far as the, the expectations I I put out there and the expectations he had for himself. So, um, you know, so, but, but, but that's not, that would not be a top three regret. You know, that, that's, uh, those are things I just own and, you know, could care less if uh, people don't like it or, or not. I just don't, you know, I, I don't think you need to be in this business and the, you know, cause everybody's going to be wrong when it comes to this sport, everybody's going to be wrong. And it's okay for fans to say you were wrong. Uh, you know, as long as they clearly understand what you're saying, like the Colin Hill thing, people, you know, I don't think they got it, but it's okay to be wrong. And, and you have, but you have to own it. You can't sit there and whine and, Oh, I wish I'd never done that. But I came up with those four things just because for different reasons, I kicked myself. They, they were all judgment calls uh, that I really sort of struggled with to, to a certain extent. Um, and so I regret those. So that's the deal there. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. White, for the email. And that's our Saturday show, folks. University of South Carolina Gamecocks, Eastern Illinois University Panthers, kicking it off uh, next Saturday night. And Williams Bryce going to have plenty of coverage for you coming up um, here on thebigspur.com. Please take advantage of the VIP membership there. We've, boy, we've grown a whole lot with the VIP members. So those of you out there, you know, it's never, a, this is not a bad time to join. We have a great message board, lots of opinions. You know, lots of debates back and forth, that kind of thing. Uh, lots of information. So uh, I think you guys will join, enjoy it. Ben Briner, who used to be with the state newspaper, uh, who I think you guys sort of like. You know, there, there's some people at the state. Maybe you don't. But uh, Ben Ben's good people. He's uh, got a deal with us doing some, you know, freelance stuff, uh, takes on the game film study kind of stuff. Uh, so you'll you'll really enjoy that. Plus me, Tony Morell, Hale McGranahan, John Whittle, all that good stuff. Please continue to rate this podcast five stars. Write a review on Apple. Don't forget the big old cock pregame show next Friday at one on JB and Goldwater. Uh, go ahead and you want to catch that. Me, JB, Goldwater, Michael Flint, all on that one. Uh, and then I'll have my prediction for the game. Next Thursday night, right here, or next Thursday, right here on the Inside the Game Cast podcast. JC Sherbert signing off. Everyone have a wonderful weekend, wonderful Sunday, and we'll holla at you soon.